Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Riding the Waves of Uncertainty. This talk was recorded in 2016. Life is fundamentally unpredictable. Unexpected changes can be a major source of anxiety, stress, fear, frustration, and suffering. How can we learn to perceive uncertainty with a confident and open mind? Today we are joined by Vegan Aharonian. Vegan began studying Shambhala Buddhism in 1996 and started teaching in 2007. He's a member of the Governing Council for the New York Shambhala Center and a co-director of the Practice and Education Committee. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Vegan to take away the discussion. So the topic is uncertainties. Uncertainties in life, unpredictability. Uncertainties. So <clears throat> we run into unpredictable things all day long. Uh, there are sometimes big things, but I'm even more interested today in uh, small things that cause some kind of annoyances, maybe minor annoyances. Uh, the train just left, you arrived at the s subway station, the train just left. You are coming to a cross-section and uh, it's a red light and you think if, if I was just a second faster I would cross the street. Something doesn't smell right as you, or, or if somebody smokes, you, I don't like the, the smoke. If, if I walk and suddenly I feel smoke, I hold my breath. Um, there are a number, a, a huge number of things that keep keep us on, on our toes, perhaps, maybe it's a too strong, but as I said, minor annoyances, irritations, things that don't happen the way we would like them to happen. Uh, in the announcement, if you read on the website, I mentioned a few things. A flat tire. I had the the reason I came up with the flat tire when I wrote that um, is because recently I was traveling in Italy a few couple of weeks ago, and we had the rent. We rented a car, and um, on the first day after in the morning we rented the car in Rome and we were driving to Pisa, and on the way we wanted to stop on the beach and have. I was with my son, two of us. We, it was, we, were, we were going to have our first in this lifetime uh, swim in the Mediterranean Sea. I've never been on the... So it was a, quite a big deal. So we came to this island. A few people told us there is a beautiful island between Rome and Pisa called uh, Porto Santa Stefano, if anybody knows. Beautiful island, we rode around, the, it, the, well, the island was connected through a bridge to the land, so we drove around the island, found a place to, uh, the beach where we could park there, and so I get out of the car, uh, and I see we have a flat tire. So I had that initial reaction, oh man, and then, uh, I told my son, see, we have a flat tire, but okay, we'll deal with it later. We went to the beach. Um, so things like that keep happening all the time. Here is why this topic is important. Uh, Buddhism in general is started, Buddha started his search 
for wisdom, for, for uh, solutions. When he realized that uh, human life is full of suffering. And so he started to analyze the suffering and how to uh, resolve it. And so the, uh, there are three major sources of suffering and changes in life, pain of change is the second of them. It's, it's one of the three major topics. Why do, what causes us to feel uncomfortable? The word suffering is a big word, but uh, it covers from little things to serious depressing factors. Um, changes. Well, there are many types of changes. Some changes are predictable. Uh, I'm losing hair and my stomach grows. <laughs> um, still unpleasant, but kind of expected. Well, I never expected my stomach to grow. I was always so skinny and when my suddenly, no matter how much I ate, I was always skinny and suddenly now I, it does accumulate. That's an unexpected change. <laughs> um, but these little surprises, sometimes big surprises, they do throw out us out of balance. Um, so once we explored, everybody got in touch with your, your fears of uh, plan, when plans fail. Let's look into why why would it throw us our balance? Why do we have reactions we have? And I'll list a few things, but I want everybody to think, what do you think? Maybe I'll pause actually for 15 seconds. Why do you think these things cause discomfort? There are several, several reasons I can mention, and it wouldn't be a complete list. Uh, but um, it has to do with some sense of insecurity, losing control of a situation. If it has to do with other people not cooperating, we can get upset that people don't cooperate, they don't play along, they don't follow our plan. It could be we lose time. If you, I dropped my phone into water once. <laughs> it was uh, probably most people did at one point. <laughs> uh, and we were, that was another trip we were traveling, we were in Prague, in Czech Republic, and we were about to run to see something on the, 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 the clock in the Prague. They have a historic clock, and every half an hour or 15 minutes, there is, or now, I don't remember, there's a whole spectacle happening in the clock. And we were late, and so anyway. So I had to spend time dealing with the, but, but it, at the end, it was, we, I ignored that it's wet, we went to look, and then I had to, figure out, go online and see what people do, and it turned out that there are some methods. You use rice, and then we had to go to a store and buy some rice. I learned a new trick. It was an educational mishap. So now if anybody drops the phone in my presence, I know what to tell them. I can be helpful, which is more important than my little annoyance. Um, so things, our plan fails in some ways, and that's unpleasant and annoying. If we go back to the uh, flat tire in Italy, though, after my initial reaction, and by the third second, I said, all right, we'll deal with this later, let's go swim. And we did go to swim, we, we spent maybe an hour on the beach, and then I told my son, well, after all, we have a flat tire, we have to deal with it. And we went back and started dealing with that. Um, why else would these things annoy us? Uh, there is, uh, we, we, as I said, we lose control and that's unpleasant. And maybe sometimes um, 
it hurts our ego. If I, when I drop my phone, I could think, I'm not a sloppy person, I'm pretty coordinated and I know what I do and kind of this breaks my image who I am and, right, that could be one of the reasons. Can you think of anything else? Any other reasons why would these things throw us out of balance? You can just scream from your seat. You didn't plan for it, yes. <laughs> Feeling disrespected. With the car, I didn't expect it at all. I, we rented the cheapest car there was, which was a smart, but they didn't have it, they gave us Audi. And I thought, Audi, flat tire, why? <laughs> um, Expectations, yes. We do have a lot of expectations from ourselves. That's a more general, yes. It covers a lot of uh, aspects. We expect uh, certain scenarios to play out. We have expectations about ourselves and, and uh, cars not breaking down. And uncertainty. We typically don't like uncertainty. Occasionally we have pleasant surprises, but but um, I was wondering when I was thinking about this talk, if you ask people, if you survey people, do you want uh, a surprise party, a surprise on your birthday? I think a lot of people would say, I would prefer to know in advance what's coming up, even though I know it's planned for, to, to, to please me. Still, most people would like to have some predictability there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yeah, if you go back again to that, uh, my Italian trip, we were planning to arrive to Pisa at that evening. And so when we came back and I started calling, um, the phone was speaking Italian, there was a recording in Italian, which I don't understand, and then somebody was passing by, I asked, I asked him, do you speak English? <laughs> He said yes, and I gave him the phone. He said, but I don't speak Italian. <laughs> um, I should say that that day, uh, dealing with the car, and actually the next day too, brought us a lot of uh, unexpected adventures. So first I spent an hour no, less, maybe half an hour on the phone. He finally got somebody on the phone. He didn't speak Italian, but Kurandas, he, was, uh, he was Swiss, so he knew a little Italian. So he, he, he helped me to get to the person, to, write the right, to click the right buttons to get to the person. And then they said, okay, we'll send you a truck, and he'll figure out whether you can, he can fix your tire or he will replace the car. I said, all right, that's what I expect. And we went to find some food, and then there was a single road coming, so we went to, toward the road that, where the truck would come. And at some point, while we were looking for to eat, I saw a truck. We, we, I stopped him. I said, that's us. He said, okay, we got in the car. He, he, he says, do you speak Italian? I say, no, English. He says, no, English. <laughs> and then uh, he started, he's, then he asked, do we speak Russian? He turned out to be from Moldova, which was another republic from former Soviet Union. So he spoke Russian, was very colorful, uh, rough uh, guy. He was swearing half the words of what he was saying after this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so he drove us back. He said, you have to call them back. You have to yell at them. So they get your car. I'll just take your car, and then you'll deal with them. Anyway, so we ended up. Uh, we had to find a place to stay on that island. Uh, so while we were in eating in the restaurant, we were calling Airbnb, find a place. Um, well, I'm not here to just tell about my trip. It's just there were, it was a surprise after surprise that we had to deal with. It wasn't 
pleasant, but um, um, this type of uh, unpredictability, I'm reasonably okay with. So eventually we found a very nice place. It was much more expensive than I would choose to stay, but there was only one place on that island that, uh, uh, that was on Airbnb, and so we, I sent a message. The guy responded right away while we were still eating that I have a place and I can come and pick you up. So he came and picked us up and his car broke in the middle of it was it was just a one it was a maybe two mile, not not even two mile distance from where we were. But um, he came on an old American car and it, it stopped maybe two hundred yards before their house. Anyway, it was just a fun thing to do. It was we went there and he was a very interesting it was kind of a mansion. He at least in my opinion, in my on my scale of things, it looked like a mansion. Uh, they had part of the beach belonging to their house. It was on a slope, had many rounded, it was a rounded, he, he explained how they used Feng Shui to build principles to build the house. It was a very nice evening after all, and the next morning we spent half a day on their private beach. Um, we, this wasn't planned, and this was more, probably the most memorable day of our trip, after all. Um, well, the, next, the second half of the day I had to deal with the car again. They told me that I have to take a train to a nearby town, and they have the car, and by the time we came there, we walked from the train station. It was closed, and now it was a very hot day, like today. And I didn't want to take taxi, I thought, we'll walk. And then we come to the place at around 5.20, they close at 6, and it says, ah, oh, you, you need a automatic transmission? I don't have cars with automatic transmission. <laughs> they ask me if I have a smart, that's what, uh, I have smart, but it's manual transmission. Anyway, we had to take a train to Pisa after that. But anyway, through all of this, and there was, Incidents when we were walking from uh, the train station to that Europe car, uh, I was asking people. Ah, our phone stopped communicate. I mean, my internet connect. Something was wrong with the SIM card. I guess I couldn't use the map anymore. So we had to talk to people. It was rural. There weren't that many people in the streets. But anyway, so we had to talk to Italians, uh, which was part of the part of visiting a country. Uh, at some point, we, we spoke, asked somebody to uh, direction, they didn't speak English, and there was a beautiful woman who just drove by and, and asked her, do you speak English? She stopped thinking, does she speak English? And she, anyway, there were these small things that were pleasant, actually, to some extent. Um, and that happens if you think about your experiences very often what you don't expect and don't want to happen after all ends up with some interesting depending on your attitude i could have been very annoyed by all of this all the time but i wasn't and as i already said this was one of the most memorable days of our trip uh, a few days ago i talked to a neighbor yeah. And, well, a couple of years ago, she kept, every time I saw her, she kept complaining about her job. Uh, her boss, her environment, they, she was worrying she will lose the job on one hand, on the other hand, she wanted to lose her job, to, to find another job. And for two years, and eventually she did lose her job, and she found another one. She, and when I was talking to her, she said that I learned the lesson that I should have dropped that job a long time ago. For two years, I was, I, I was afraid of the change, and the change actually was a good thing. So let's get back to analyze the, the, this, these situations. We, we, we do lose balance when things don't go the way we like. And we discussed that this is usually because we want to have a control. We, it, it hurts our feelings. We might lose, we w might, force, might be forced to spend time differently than what we planned to do. 
and we don't welcome it usually. We also now see that if we welcome it, sometimes it might be even more useful than what we were planning to do. And that's a very interesting observation, that sometimes it's, it might be much better to get interested in the unexpected situation and if not enjoy it, but engage in it um, with some sense of welcoming. Okay, this came my way, why won't I figure out how to deal with this the best I can? It's possible to have that attitude. In other words, we would have to uh, let go of uh, our expectation. We were expecting things to happen a certain way. If we could let go of what we wanted to happen and re rearrange our attention to what we want to happen, what, what actually was thrown at us. Uh, in order to be able to do that, this is a very important point. In order to be able to do this, we need to have some trust. Now we're getting to the core of the teachings, to, to the closer to, to Shambhala teachings. Trusting that whatever happens is... Um, the, it, it's not necessarily a perfect, wonderful thing, but it has some meaning into this. Uh, I can deal with it, trusting that I can deal with this. And whatever happens with it, it's okay too. Even if I don't figure this out perfectly, even if it doesn't really, if I can't turn it around to be exactly as I want to be, it's still okay. Having that trust is what is the backbone that can um, give us the confidence and walk through life with, with, with confidence that I don't have to control everything. Whatever happens is okay, I'll deal with it. And it might be a very good thing that it happens not the way I planned. Yeah, that happens all the time. People get uh, upset when they lose jobs, uh, they, uh, the relationship breaks, a lot of things. And then later it turns out it was the best thing to happen. So if we build that trust, that confidence, that I'll, I'll deal with it, I'll figure it out, or at least I'll put the best of my efforts, my skills, my intellectual ability, and whatever happens, happens. It's not the end of the world. We could also have the attitude that things don't happen by mere chance. Maybe it's a better thing. Maybe, maybe if our car didn't break down, we would have get into an accident later. Maybe yes, maybe not, I don't know. Maybe it's good to be late for a flight sometimes. Uh, we don't know and we don't have to figure that out. Think something happened, we have to deal with what happened rather than try to rationalize that this is probably better. It's an it's, it's unnecessary thing. trying to rationalize it. Sometimes the rationale comes in itself, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, some of you probably heard the, the, the phrase basic goodness. It's a fundamental concept to Shambhala teachings, uh, which um, it, cover, it is covered in, in, in the first weekend of Shambhala training, the, the level one, but I'll say that uh, the trust that fundamentally, basically, I am okay, I am good, as I am. I don't have to prove anybody that I, uh, through my accomplishments or my successes, that I can figure everything out, that I can plan everything perfectly, that nothing goes wrong. Fundamentally, there is not, it's nothing is wrong with me. And what's also very important is there is nothing wrong with the uh, life around me. Things are happening, and that's, there is no fundamental problem with it. There are things we need to deal with, yes. But fundamentally, there is no problem. There is no inherent big problem in it. Cars break, they are fixable, typically. 
or replaceable, and we can move on. So trusting in the basic goodness of myself and uh, surrounding life is what we can base on in order not to have those reactions we talked about. Now, a fair question that you can ask, and this is where Buddhism is very important. Uh, the reason I said that, that there are a lot of philosophies and teachings where they can uh, advise how to be. And you would agree that, yeah, it would be nicer to, if I was like this, if I wouldn't react that way, if I could have this perspective on myself and life. But the crucial thing is how to learn to do it. Our reactions are pretty immediate and automatic. When I see the flat tire, uh, this goes before I can think about it. And then subsequent reactions are also, we have the habitual ways of reacting and functioning. And so where the value of these teachings come is they provide not only a different perspective, but also a method how to retrain our mind. Do you guess where I'm hinting, <laughs> towards what I'm hinting? We have the, the meditation practice, which which helps us uh, realign our mind with our belief. We, we, we gain, we, in Buddhism we have this, uh, there are these three uh, ways we can progress along the path. Hearing, contemplating, meditating. So we hear the teachings, we read the books, we, we accept perhaps the ideas, the views, we get a bigger perspective, a bigger view on life, on ourselves. That's when we hear intellectually the teachings. Then we analyze them. That's the contemplation part. We see, does it make sense to me? Do I agree with this? Does it reflect in my experience, my life? We, we digest this, we chew on it. And some things we accept, some things we might reject. But then after we accept certain things, we want to function in, in line with what we accepted. And that's a very difficult thing to do because we have a habit of acting certain ways. Uh, certain things irritate us and continue to it and we, and we uh, react and, and scream at people, right? So in order to be able to make our mind workable, we want to train it. And, and meditation is the method to train the mind. What happens in meditation, well, you, you, you can ask me why would meditation help to realign the mind. When we're sitting to meditate, we set our intention to stay with the breath, to stay in current moment. Breath is what's happening every moment. We want to be present with what happens right now. We say, I don't want to be lost in my trains of thoughts, planning ahead or replaying uh, something that already happened. I want to be present with what happens right now. Then a thought comes, a next thought, train of thought, it steals our minds away, right? And that's habitual, habitual behavior of the mind. It, it jumps from thought to thought. And then we interrupt that by letting that go and coming back. So at some point, our awareness wakes up and tells us, aha, my mind is not on the breath, my mind is somewhere else. And we bring the mind back. And what happens at that point, that's the very important point, we're breaking our habitual pattern. We are, we are liberating ourselves from our habitual fears, expectations, and so forth. We come back to reality. We learn to deal with the actual reality that happens now, rather than dealing with what we think might happen. So typically when people face these things, flat tire, you start 
thinking, spinning scenarios, what am I going to do, uh, where I'm going to sleep, and on and on and on and on. Why did this happen to me? Uh, we look who to blame, that's a big one. We, it's, it's very pleasant to find somebody who is guilty. Uh, and if that per per person is available to yell at them, it's even better. So instead of doing all of that, we can just be present and deal with the actual thing that you have to deal with right now. And so through meditation, we train the mind to be able to let go of that habitual reaction and come back and wake up to reality. We still have to deal with the reality, but it's just the reality that happened rather than our story about what could have been happening. Are you with me? Against me? So it takes a fair amount of open-mindedness and but then once you, uh, once you have that attitude, that sense of confidence that whatever happens, I'll, I'm okay with it. It is not the confidence that I'll make it work for me the way I want. Not necessarily. It's, it's the confidence that even if I can't fix it, it's still okay. The world is still okay. I don't have to be able to control everything. That, that's the big one. Situations when you are confident you'll fix the car, whatever happens to it, is, is halfway there. It's, it's a bigger confidence when you know that you might be unable to fix the situation and you're still okay with it. That's the real confidence. And once you have some glimpses of that confidence, then you can be a lot more, more playful and joyful and, and juggle the circumstances as they are thrown at you. Um, I hope everybody can think of a situations where they feel that way. Uh, let's say you are playing, let's say you are, usually it's a situation when you are good at things. Let's say you are good at playing soccer or whatever, whatever game or certain situations or uh, right now I'm going to, uh, in a minute I'm going to offer you to ask me questions, right? So in order to feel uh, okay with this, I have to have sufficient confidence that either I am able to answer the questions or if I don't know the answer, I'm okay with it as well, right? So that's the example of that's going to happen right now. But I hope everybody can think of, or at work, you are confident that whatever happens with work, you, you can deal with it. Either you are pretty much on top of the game, or even if you are not, you know that there are other people you can go to. That adds a lot of freedom to, to the way we live our lives. Freedom, joy, playfulness, you, when you wake up in the morning, you are not worrying what can, can, can go wrong throughout the day. And that's what a lot of us do throughout the day. We think of what can go wrong and how do I prevent it. If you have the attitude that, all right, whatever I call that goes wrong might be actually a very right thing to happen. <laughs> and I don't really have to prevent all those things. You still need some plan. You still have to get to work, or most of us have to still go to work. Or you have, you have some plans for the day. And so, and you do go along your plan. I'm not saying that just let everything go and sit on the bed and see what happens. No, we still do things. We go, we, we, we have our plan. But if we are totally open to what can go wrong, then it eases the day entirely. And we become a much more pleasant people to deal with too. We are not uptight. We, our humor pours out much easier, right? We don't have that, uh, the, the third, I remember in the beginning I mentioned three uh, ways we suffer that Buddha 
established. The third one is called all-pervasive suffering, which are a background uptightness that we hold throughout the day. I, I feel it in my stomach, I think many people do. A little bit of tightness of wanting to think to go right. Uh, being on time to work, on meetings, I don't know, being able to finish, meet the deadlines, and on and on. There are all these little things that keep us a little tight. We don't perceive it as suffering because it's a background noise. That's the normal situation. That's how we feel all the time. But Buddha called it all-pervasing all suffering because we are not just open and free-flowing and just playful and enjoying fully what happens. We are a little bit on our toes. So letting go of control and being open, that's what we look at. And going back, meditation is a method to retrain the mind to, to cooperate, cooperate with our intention. All right, it's time to open the floor for questions, comments, disagreements. The idea of things being all right, is that true? We just ignore what's going on in the world, meaning in France and the terrorism and how then does social activism come into being? Do we not allow ourselves to be socially active or that's cut off? It's like a personal thing. That's one thing. And the social activism, what we see, it's not all right. It seems like the world is getting worse in around us, but we say it's okay with us or how do we do this? I'm trying to figure it out because like what happened in France and these different things you hear every day, you can hardly stand it. So you just say, I'm okay, and that's not, what do you do? Great, thank you for the question, very good, yeah. Um, yes, there are a lot of things in the world we want to improve. Definitely we don't say, I don't care, whatever happens, I'm okay, not at all, not at all entirely, no. But here is where the catch, so yeah, we do apply our effort. If we think that there are things to, that need our help, we do get involved. And we put all our effort into that. But the difference is in the attitude. I remember, I mentioned uh, that this uh, Tuesday night gathering started in 98, and I remember at one of the talks, the teacher said that in the 60s, uh, Vietnam era, he said, uh, he was a student, so we were so angry that the war was going on and we were protesting and so forth that we wanted to kill everybody who disagreed with us. So that's, uh, that's an aggression is, uh, as well. So where I'm getting is that if we, <laughs> that um, we could have our view and intention to improve things. But when we get obsessed and uh, get extreme, ex become extremist ourselves, it stops being helpful. We are hurting ourselves and we might hurt the situation. And uh, the, the, the opposite side gets aggressive as well. The more successful um, attitude is when we believe that the, the, the opponents fundamentally are, have their own basic goodness. They are fundamentally good as well. They might have the uh, wrong view, they might be confused, and we are confused. We, might, we also always have to accept the fact that I might be wrong. This is what I think and I'm working towards, but having always the, 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 the small window that I might be wrong too. I do think this is right and I'm working. Again, I'm not saying that we throw our hands up and don't do anything. No, we, we develop our view, we develop ourselves, but if we um, close down and we become rigid, this is what I believe in and I have to make everybody believe in what I believe, then we are becoming a nuisance, not only to ourselves but also to others. Was it uh, 
Did I answer the question? Yeah. Um, I was reading the other day that no matter what problem you have, time will conquer it. Like in a couple of months or a couple of hours or a week, it will be history and it will be resolved also. Even the war is going to end eventually one day. Uh, that's true that having a bigger perspective uh, relaxes a little bit our uptightness. Again, there is a balance. It's not necessarily then you just sit and wait for the war to end. You might want to put some effort to help it end. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to check in on something, maybe bigger issues of, uh, let's say just as an example, it was something that was written about in the write-up. You know, a health issue. So a, a friend has a life-threatening diagnosis, whether I'm the person supporting or perhaps even the person who, who's facing that. I suppose bringing all these principles could be helpful, but I'd still like to hear you speak to that. Thanks. Yeah, those are very difficult. Uh, when you get a fatal diagnosis, that's a very, very difficult thing to very difficult thing to swallow. And we have the denial reaction first, and then by the time we ex it's it's very hard. Um, or somebody dies, your loved one dies. There, well, this is a very sensitive issue. I'll talk to this, but I'm just trying to choose my words carefully. Uh, one thing I can say is that there are many stories, and I heard some of them personally, when people get such diagnosis. One of the stories is quite famous, is uh, Steve Jobs' uh, talk. Maybe some of you heard that he's, he gave a talk on... Uh, uh, Stanford University's commencement. He talked about receiving a cancer diagnosis and how that changed um, his life. Uh, but the stories are that you, you suddenly start living your life much fuller than you used to. You realize that the death is not a uh, theory, it's real. It's, it becomes more tangible, and so we start valuing, valuing each second of our lives. So I heard many, several stories that suddenly that period between receiving diagnosis becomes a much more vivid and valuable. Maybe the word pleasant is not fully appropriate, but um, appreciated, very appreciated, engaged, and in some ways, enjoyable part of life. So that, that's one part of the answer. Uh, but in order to be able to, to accept the situation and on one hand deal with it properly, on the other hand still fully enjoy the life rather than being entirely shut down, depressed, it's important to have this attitude that Yes, things happen, and I will die one day, sooner or later anyway, everybody dies. And, okay, now I know that it, it, it gets much more real. And sometimes, obviously, people recover. Um, but eventually we won't recover. Eventually we will die. And again, in Buddhism, that's a big theme. Death is a big theme. And from some point of view, a big reason why we want to practice and progress along the path is in preparation for the death. This opens another theme of karma and uh, other lifetimes, which I don't want to go into now. But um, if we if we take these things, like um, uh, even the, the diagnosis, as a lesson. This, this fell on me because I can use it for something. 
like a flat tire is a small thing, obviously. But we, we, we can treat things as an opportunity to learn something, to use it to move forward, to grow from there. So you mentioned that um, uh, we first hear the teachings and then we contemplate the teachings and then we meditate. When we meditate, should we focus solely on the breath or should we also bring the contemplation of the teachings into the meditation? Uh, there are, when, okay, let me first give you a straightforward answer. When we are meditating, the way you meant the question, we only work on bringing the mind back to the breath. We want to teach the mind to cooperate. That's the flat initial answer. But then I want to say that if you take programs, uh, the weekend programs or courses, we go through uh, contemplative meditations too. There are contemplations, excuse me, as meditative practices. So there are, there are types of meditations when you, when you digest material in certain ways. There are specific techniques how to do that. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to follow up on this uh, last question, uh, if I may, because um, the path from um, uh, hearing right, the teachings to contemplation is, is uh, direct. Right? We, we first presented some teachings, make sure we understand them, then we contemplate on them. You know, um, how is this relevant to my life? How does this connect with... Can, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, basically, uh, the idea of hearing, contemplating, meditating, the, the link between the first two uh, is more explicit, right? Uh, it's like we hear specific teachings, views on karma, on this and that, and then we contemplate what does this mean for me here and now and in my present situation. Um, and yet, you know, the basic uh, shamatha meditation is just follow the breath. And the, so the link from contemplation mm -hmm. to meditation is not as explicit, at least for, you know, this in, introductory kind of meditation, you know. Yeah, yeah I understand. Um, these are not meant necessarily to be so tightly linked as one leading into the next one. And when we say contemplation, it's not only the contemplation of, you just, of what you just heard. It's generally a contemplative attitude throughout your life, your day, to see, uh, to look at our reactions, look at our own mind, um, notice our emotions. This is all part of that uh, contemplation umbrella, contemplating our life. It does include what you meant, and that's what I meant when I said it, that we hear some teachings and we analyze them. That's part of it too. Now, when we meditate, I'll repeat again, we train the mind to cooperate and be present on the breath and the reality, as it happens right now. But um, underneath that, we also subconsciously do infuse our mind with the teachings we accepted. It happens unintentionally, we don't put any effort into it, but it kind of soaks into us. When we relax the mind and let it be, when we stop spinning all these habitual thoughts, it creates open-mindedness that lets us realign ourselves with our new perspective. Thank you very much for the talk. I have a question about, um, similar to the theme of illness, um, in terms of mental illness, in terms of preparing, preparing Preparing for um, an illness like dementia or schizophrenia in which there's a loss of control, a loss of cognitive ability to still reason, but not death. Um, I was just wondering if there's anything in Shambhala concerning that. Uh, 
Yeah, that's, that's a difficult reality also. When I, some time ago, I did ask myself, what, where, where, the end, where, does, where is the end of my confidence? And I thought that I can, uh, I'm okay with getting very sick, with losing a limb. I'll, I'll figure out how to live my life. But if I lose my ability to, the mind abilities, then there is nothing I can do about it anymore. So that's, that's a really tough one. And again, uh, this is reality. It happens. My father has dementia now. Um, when I ask him, how are you? He's, I'm okay. He doesn't remember things. Things are done for him. He, He's barely alive at this point, but, uh, but he's not complaining. It happens, there is, it's more difficult for people around the person who has dementia than the person themselves. At least that's what I see, because yeah, I guess there are different scenarios. This is something we cannot control. This happens. And so if you are the person who has it, there is nothing you can do. If you are the person who have to take care of, see the person who, who lost their control of their mind, then again, you deal with it the best you can. And that's all we can do. It might be hard emotionally, But we don't want to fight with reality. We just want to deal with it the best we can. Things don't happen by chance. When I was younger, again, my father was always very important to me, and, and I, was, I was thinking, someday he's going to die. And I thought, how could it be, how can, even pretty adult, I thought, it's, it's very hard to digest to, have the world where my father is not part of it. And now my father is sick for about a, more than a year now. He, he, gradu he gradually got into that. And for me, I, I, and I gradually learned, I realized that he's, I didn't think he'll, he'll live, in a few days he'll be 87. And so it made me a lot easier to me to accept the fact that he's going to die. I'm, at least I think I'm, uh, psychologically ready for him to die because he's barely alive already. And so his gradual coming to that point made it e actually easier for me to accept the fact that he's going to die. I'm not giving you a complete uh, an answer what to do, but I'm giving you a different perspectives you might have on the situation. All right, I'm here, you can talk to me, but let's, let's stop here. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.